0: Kia ora and welcome to Cancer Conversations with me, Helen King, journalist and cancer survivor, brought to you by Look Good, Feel Better and Dry July. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Cancer Conversations, the podcast you never thought you'd need for the diagnosis you never want to hear. I can't wait for you to hear what we have coming up. You can expect conversations about learning to accept your new body, how to talk to family and friends about your diagnosis, the roller coaster of emotions that is cancer, returning to work and so much more. So make sure you subscribe so you can enjoy every episode this season. Joining me in the studio today is the lovely Emma John, founder of The Sisterhood of Style, to share her experience of breast cancer.
1: Thank you so much for joining me, Emma. Thank you, Helen. I am super excited to be here.
0: I know that your cancer experience, your cancer journey, started the end of 2021 going into 2022. And I imagine that's probably not how you thought you would be spending 2022. No, not at all. Wasn't on the cards. But
1: tell me about Emma before cancer. It was that's such an interesting question, Helen. And I I think Emma before cancer was rocketing through life. And I say rocketing not necessarily on a linear path. You know, I was racing everywhere there's a popular term called rushing woman syndrome. I think I was on that train. I am mum of two teenage boys. I'm uh, a wife, a dog mum, a cat mum. I'm a personal stylist. I run my own business. And I also do freelance work as well and event managing. So I was a busy woman and I wasn't doing enough of the good stuff for myself. You know, I was Walking, but that was about the only exercise I was doing. I drank quite a bit, usually to wind down in the evenings or to enjoy myself with my friends in the weekends. And life was busy. Life was really busy. And I perhaps was just skirting the surface. I I love my life, but looking back, I was probably skirting the surface.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because I relate to that a lot as being a rushing woman. I've always been someone that has chased that adrenaline and been in, you know, fast-paced industries. And I know for myself, looking back, I think I missed quite a few signs that my body was telling me to slow down, lady,
1: you know? The, yep. Yeah. 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 I wonder now if the cancer was a sign of that and potentially I got well I, I think I got incredibly lucky with my diagnosis I don't want to say I'm glad I had it and I don't think it was any major sign from the universe but I think it was a sign for me I think it was a sign for me to change some things but also that it brought into sharp focus what was really important in my life and You know arbitrarily that your children and your husband or your pets or your parents or your family are important, but I think it vacuum packed it for me, (laughs) really sealed it because we had been in lockdown, Auckland's terrible, what was it, four month lockdown, the endless lockdown that was one more week, one more week. And I had delayed my mammogram because I couldn't get in. And it had been due, I think, in July or August. And I'd pushed it because we'd gone on holiday. Then, of course, we went into lockdown. And so I had it on November 17, 2021. And the first thing I knew about the issue was that they said, if you can just wait here, which they always do, and we'll come and sign you off but they didn't come back for ages and I got more panicky. And I even text a friend. She goes, where are you? And I went, God, I met the bloody mammogram. And I do it every year because my grandmother had breast cancer. So my doctor has always said that I should have them since I was 40. So it was just my annual thing that I did. And I think that's incredibly lucky. And I'd had one the year before in 2020, nothing nothing there. And then they came back in and said, could you come back in for more imaging? And your brain just explodes. And I kept my stuff together and probably went back in three times to have more imaging. The reason being is that the tumor was found at the very back of my chest wall. So no amount of self checks would have found it. And even my surgeon, when he diagnosed me, said, It's very hard for me to even feel it back there. And then I had an ultrasound and they said, Look, we are concerned. You need to come back in for a biopsy. And that kind of then started the very quick uh, process of, you know, being diagnosed a week later, um, first surgery, a lumpectomy, uh, three weeks after that. And then from that, I had a mammoprint test, which I was fortunate to have private health insurance, and that paid for this mammoprint test, and the print test diagnosed that it was more aggressive than it than they first thought and bigger than they first thought, and therefore uh, chemotherapy would be needed. Wow! Mm. So that was a shock. It
0: yeah, it is such a shock, and it's really hard to explain to people who I haven't been through it with a loved one mm. or themselves.
1: That time kind of does stop in a way. It's, freezes. It became, cancer became my life. Cancer, one day I was, it was literally, I was diagnosed the day before I was going back to work with my clients in person after four months. And I had November, December, completely rammed, booked, like I was making up for lost time, but I had no time free, and I was so excited to be back, and, you know, Auckland was coming out, they were sleepy, people were kind of, how do we do this, and we were still in pretty heavy restrictions, but I was really excited to be back, got diagnosed, and that just stopped, everything just stopped, because my brain went into crisis mode, And I used to work in a corporate and I did one of those weird personality test things that they make you do sometimes to tell you if you're a good person or not. (laughs) And I was deemed to be great in a crisis. So I'm the girl everyone goes to. I'm a green or something. I can't even remember what test it was, but I'm a green. And it was me and a co-worker, both named Emma, I'll have you know. And we are the people to go in a crisis. So that's what I did. I went into crisis mode. I decided I came home. We told our children in a very, very matter-of-fact way. Then I got on the phone, told all my best friends. Then the next day, I told some people that I was doing some work with. Then I told X, Y, and Z to go and tell those people. And at the end of that day, I had a massive vulnerability hangover because I was like, what have I done? But in my head, it allowed me to control something that was uncontrollable. And you and I have talked about that, Helen, Mm. where you're trying very, very hard to extract control from something that is completely out of your control. So once I'd ripped that Band-Aid off, you know, in hindsight, I perhaps wouldn't have told every single person I've ever known. (laughs) Someone did stop me from putting on social media at that time because they're like, you don't know what you're dealing with. But I'm an extrovert, right? I'm hard on my sleeve. What you see is what you get. You don't get two different versions of me. So I was like telling people made me feel, you know, that I was in control and I think that it helped me to feel like I was doing something good for my family because then I thought everyone would just rally around the boys and take care of Howie and I could just mm-hmm. go off. But of course, your husband, your partner, your closest person to you is going to be that person for you. You know, they're going to be rallying for you. So it was a little bit of a false sort of positive that I think I thought I was doing. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a vacuum. You live inside, it's a vacuum, time slows, everything stops. What was Christmas? What was the end of my kids' school year? <laughs> couldn't tell you, honestly, couldn't tell you.
0: I remember one of the first times going into town, so a dear friends of mine picked me up between chemo rounds and, yeah, took me out and we went into Auckland's CBD and I felt like an alien mm-hmm. because I had not been in there for months. And seeing all these people going about their daily lives, doing stuff that at that time all of a sudden felt really, really foreign to me. Mm. It was like being in a different planet or in a different city and really realizing how different my life was now Mm. when that used to be my norm.
1: Yeah, and I, I likened it, that same feeling, to being like a newly born deer or foal. Is it full? Bambi. Yeah. I was basically Bambi on sort of, you know, very fragile legs, yeah. walking around going, how do I even talk to you if I don't talk about cancer? How do I communicate if it's not about, oh my God, I have cancer? Like the very worst thing that you think is going to happen to you is happening to you. And then it's this alternate reality because then you're very, very quickly expected to, okay, now march on and, and. People expect that of me because I've set that version up of myself that is capable, independent. I run my own business. Therefore, I must, you know, know what I'm doing. I'm proactive. I love to be busy. I built my life to be busy. I love a list. (laughs) 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 And so I think there was a big expectation on me from others. Not that I felt it. I just think people expected me to rally. And it was my best friend that actually said to me, it's okay for you to crumble. It's okay for you to crumble. You're going to crumble. Can you just let yourself fall? We'll catch you. It's okay. And that was incredibly helpful because I let myself just go a little bit. And to the point where, you know, my kids were going back um, forward a few months now towards chemo. Chemo started the week my kids started. One started high school Wow. and the other started his first year of NCEA. And you know those are two massive years for kids. And I was my brain had left the building. And I look back on that time, and we've just been heaping praise on them. You know, my son did well in NCEA one. He really pulled it out of the bag, and had had some rough roads. You know, he wasn't getting the work done because we weren't there to support him. You know, we were our brains were concentrating on cancer. And our youngest, you know, started high school and he's navigating all of this newness. And I feel like letting go allowed me to concentrate on cancer. But I think there's also some fallout for others that comes from that, that none of the books that I'd read or really understood that that was going to happen. I think I didn't appreciate that that was going to be a fallout, probably until after major treatment.
0: Yeah, and it's so normal. I was thinking it's I'm coming up coming up five years post diagnosis and I wow. remember for at least two years it felt like someone had taken an egg beater to my brain. Mm, oh, that's just great. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I feel like <laughs> Yeah. It's so totally normal. Scrambled. Very scrambled. <laughs> and I it really struck me as you were talking and I do wonder whether this can be the downfall of people like ourselves who are very capable Mm. that as you were talking I was thinking are we the same person because I go into very logical Mm. very sensible right there's okay we've got to do this and this and this and I'll tell that person and you know you're trying to control as much as you can and I sometimes wonder where people see that and go "Ah, look at them, they're coping with this so oh, well.
1: I got that a lot. Yeah. I got, you're just so brave. Yes. You're so brave. You're so amazing. And and they weren't saying the wrong thing, mm. but I wasn't feeling brave. I wasn't feeling amazing. I was just going, I, I'm just trying not to go mental. You know, I'm trying not to have a mental breakdown. Yes. Or as a lot of cancer memes call it, menti B, yes. <laughs> which is my fave. Just having a slight menti B in the background. Yeah. And I think I was gripping, for dear life every bit of normalcy or and remember too I had the added benefit of still being in COVID lockdown yeah. so we never came out of lockdown our family technically well I certainly didn't Um. so I didn't see my best friend uh, once I started chemo they came over and shaved my head Yeah. Uh, and I didn't see them again in person for a good you know five months and so I mean I think I saw one of them out the window um <laughs> I like Rapunzel. Yeah. But we were really strict because I was absolutely terrified. I became obsessed with having this all done in 2022. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that was it. The cancer, fine. You got me. You got me good, but you are not coming into 2023. And in yeah. fact, my bestie made me a mug with EJ cancer free for 23. Yeah. And so that became my mantra. And We'll talk about it, I'm sure, later, but the way that things were looking, it was looking like there might be a final surgery in 2023 and I was having none of it. I was like, no, this is not happening. And so I was obsessed and, again, tried to control the situation about it just being in 2022. I mean, obviously diagnosed in 21, but the, the biggest parts of the treatment were last year and I was obsessed with it staying in that year. Mm. Wow. Mm.
0: Yeah. It just it resonates so much. And I think I think this is the this is part of cancer that has really, I don't know, surprised me is the right word, but it's no one talks about the fact that actually the some of the real hard stuff can be after active treatment because all Mm. of a sudden everything goes like stops. And I think because it's not talked about enough our loved ones or our community may not realize that we still need that kind of, you know, wraparound wrap around. of love and and help. Because I, for my experience was like, I just, I feel like I fell apart after the active part finished. And then I needed more surgeries to fix parts of my body that had been so damaged by chemo. Oh, and so it was like, yeah, I kind of, uh, that I, what you're talking about, I just wanted to be in this. Yes, so did
1: I. And, but it just didn't it get. No. And I have to be fluid about that now. Like, <laughs> I, I have to go, well, there's a s- couple of things that have to go on in 2023, but I'm just, it's just tiny. It's just a day stay. It's just this. Yeah. And I realized that I went through an eight hour mastectomy and deep flap reconstruction and then a four hour uh, symmetrising surgery and, reshaping of the cancer boob, I call it. Mm. And so that's a lot of surgeries. Plus I had a three-hour lumpectomy. You know, I mean, it was, there's a lot of time that I've spent under general anaesthetic, a lot of time recuperating, a lot of drains that I've drained. So I look at little minor surgeries now go oh well that's nothing I realise that I'm an anomaly I realise that surgery absolutely freaks people out now for some reason I had a positive experience with surgery and that I had it post with a mastectomy post chemo and chemo was I hated it I didn't i I didn't love it. I don't think anyone does. And so I feel coming out of chemo, my brain started rewiring again. And three weeks Mm. later, I had the mastectomy. I almost skipped into surgery. But I think that, and then I had this sweet spot, this incredible sweet spot post mastectomy. You know, I was probably, I think it's a sort of eight to 12 week uh, recovery. And then I started to feel such joy. I was like, this is like a drug. This is like amazing. I'm so joyful. I wish other people could feel this much joy. And in fact, had the same conversation with a friend who I had met through cancer. And we were both high on this joy that we were feeling for life and this utter, I guess it's maybe a common phenomenon. And then I started my hormone blocking drugs. Mm. (laughs) I was like oh <laughs> the, joy, the joy doesn't really last and I think I came back down to earth I started working again I was doing some freelancing I was doing some work for an event that I'd been organizing and I I felt really good I felt stronger and I'm sure we'll talk about you know body changes and things but I the joy the utter joy like I can't express to you it was like I was a little bit you know I was high anyway, but I really wasn't, I promise. And the the reality set in. The realities of the hormone-blocking meds, they cause joint pain. You know, some some sweating in my face, exclusively. (laughs) (laughs) Like a hot sweat from menopause. But I was already in menopause when I was diagnosed. And I forgot to say, who was I pre-cancer? I was on HRT and I was in love with it. It was amazing. It had transformed my life but can no longer be on HRT, and no, HRT was not a major factor in my cancer diagnosis, but I couldn't be on that anymore, and so the hormone-blocking meds, they took me by surprise a little. I was warned about it, you're warned about it, these are the side effects, and I think I was like, oh gosh, and then the reality, I think, sets in, oh, you're on these for 10 years this is the new normal. I have to pay extra attention to what I'm consuming, what's in my home that I could, you know, potentially get rid of that could be, you know, a carcinogen. I didn't, I haven't become really militant about it because I think I'd get overwhelmed. But just trying to remove things that, you know, can cause issues for post-cancer, I think I'm trying to remove it. But again, control. Mm. It's all about control and then, the reality sets in and you've got to control your life and deal with your life differently. Uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a whole new world afterwards. And I'm, well, I start, I finished chemo 24th of May, 22, mastectomy June 15 and my final symmetrising surgery November 9. So, you know, I'm a few months on now from active treatment and I'm getting into the swing of life. But what I have noticed really is fatigue.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Fatigue and migraines, because I get migraines. Yeah. And those really slam me. And the fatigue is like nothing you've experienced unless you've had chemo, which, or I believe radio can do this to you as well, is you just can't do anything. You're just not (laughs) going to do anything. (laughs) And as a busy person, as someone who prides themselves, I love a reading to read a book and relax, but this is all day. You know, yeah, I think that's a surprise that post-active treatment situation.
0: Oh, absolutely, and it's really interesting, isn't it? Because we we have spoken, <laughs> we've discussed this earlier. That it's almost like it becomes a real, like military exercise of planning. Like, if I do that that day, I'm going to then be really tired the next day, so I can't have anything. And it's it's almost like the lesson I know for myself is that we have no control over. Anything. And the more you try to control. I think um, you've just taught me something, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot.
1: <laughs> I I haven't yet learned that properly. And I think I need help to do that. Because even my husband said last night, I think you need to work a three-hour day. And yeah. that's it. And I was like, whatever. And then I was like, oh, there is probably sense in that. But I am one for packing up my day and then coming home, making dinner, you know, busy, 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 and then Mm -hmm. get on that couch at 7.30 and then I'm trying to go to bed at nine to read or whatever. There's not much in my day. And I think there is something in that that's a massive lesson. And I wish there was perhaps more. Like I am reading so much about when you're diagnosed, what to do Mm -hmm. when you're going through it. I think we both follow the wonderful, is it Helen Beely? Helen Beely, yes. Oh, she's amazing about post-treatment exercise. And that has been a lifesaver for me. I'm suddenly the person who loves exercise. Mm. And I had stumbled on it in that big lockdown, kept it bubbling away last year, but have really ramped it back up since Christmas. And I was like, oh, I love it. But I wish there was more... Of a cohesive way or a path for people to go, this is what you may experience post treatment. Yeah. All of these things are normal. Kind of like when you get listicles of menopause treatment. Yeah. And so you know that those things are normal and it's not just you, particularly for someone like you and I who are active, who are very busy people, that having fatigue is different from wanting to relax.
0: Oh my God, yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the shock to me is that the, I'm having a hot sweat now. (laughs) I'm just mopping my brow is that the fatigue is corrosive to Mm -hmm. your everyday. Mm -hmm. It's just going to corrode your desires for anything but to lie down and you'll feel like crap if you get up and you'll try and you'll go back down again. And in the last week, I've had four migraines. Now Ooh. that's a lot. That's a cluster. That's crappy. I've got some good, a really good migraine med that hits it mm. in the where it hurts, and so it stops. But the hangover from the migraine is quite long, and so the fatigue from that is is quite heavy. And so I've had sort of three and a half days where I've done very little mm. in the last week. So then I get up the next day and go mad and do everything. And so I would love. More information on how we navigate post cancer because, particularly for busy people, particularly for people who like being busy, I should say. Yeah. Because I'm not, that's not my norm. And so, even just the socializing. And, you know, getting excited to see people again and people going, you're going to come out? And I'm like, oh, I can't or I can't go out past nine o'clock or Mm. I have to set new rules. And I think that's what we were talking about when we first spoke was the rules that you need to live by post-cancer. Not rules, just a way, it, it changes you forever. Oh, and anyone yeah. listening is going to be going through a journey or has someone close to them going through a journey and it changes you irrevocably and, but you have to design your life differently mm-hmm. post-cancer, I think. I think perhaps the further you get away from it and maybe, you know, but you've still got residual yeah. fatigue and things and in your post five years, but you've also been through a pandemic you know, yeah. where life hasn't been normal. So I, I feel like, yeah, if anyone's out there that can yeah. write us a program for how to be someone <answer> it? Can <laughs> someone answer it please? Because I think maybe we should write it, Helen. You know? Maybe we should write it.
0: Emma's Instagram is beautiful. Emma is such a beautifully styled and vibrant person. And I yes. remember seeing your your pictures of Kiva thinking Oh my God, how does this woman look so amazing? Because I just looked like, I was like a potato. Like I was bold and bloated. <laughs> and I, my mum told me off one time when we were going because I wore my comfortable hoodie and she was mortified that I was in public. <laughs> and the You're study. going out like, what? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just that idea that actually everyone's experience and process is different mm-hmm. and there's no right or wrong way. And I now know from talking to you that actually, you know, that was a way that you helped yourself feel mm. good. And so I went, oh yeah, yeah, okay, that's right, Helen. Social media
1: isn't a reflection of every aspect of a person's No, life. and it's not. The reason I started sharing on social media, I'm a personal stylist, right? And my... Business, Sisterhood of Style is about style. So I thought cancer had no place in that, except I was also a menopausal woman of pre-cancer. So I had started sharing about that because I noticed I went into medical-induced menopause at 43 Mm. because I had an ovary that had an ovarian cyst and it torted. blah, blah, blah. Fallopian tube and ovary came out. I went yep. into early menopause. So I was experiencing it way before my peers and now my peers are experiencing it and I'm like the old lady going, it's <laughs> all right, girls, come on, <laughs> we'll get you there. Yeah. And so I had started sharing about that. I had shared about all of that stuff that made me feel comfortable. Eventually, when I chose to spread the word about cancer, my diagnosis, it was to tell people to get tested. Because I would not have found my cancer unless it was for a mammogram. And so my passion now is feel yourself on the first, make sure you're booked in to get your mammograms, check your boobs and your bits. And so if I've got a platform, and it's a, it's a modest you know, amount of, of followers, but it's enough to go, you can have an impact there. And I've been very proud hearing that women have gone to get mammograms after my diagnosis. So I started sharing for that reason, because I thought, well, if there's a platform out there, this is it for me to do. My business is called Sisterhood. I started it because I wanted to work with women. I noticed that women going through midlife and menopause don't necessarily look after themselves. Suddenly, I had all of the symptoms of midlife. I had menopause, (laughs) then I had cancer, which can be quite common in your 40s. And so it felt right to me. And the other thing I started sharing on social media for was to write blogs in long form, helpful things that people could get. Yeah. You know, what to do, how to look after, you know, yourself during chemo, skincare that I used, a goodbye letter to my boob, which was quite emotional more than I thought it would be. So I felt very comfortable sharing. I'm an oversharer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, full, full you know, I'm. I, that's just how I coped. And again, going back to that very first conversation that we had, I wanted to gain control mm. over an uncontrollable situation. So it dawned on me that if I was going to share and I couldn't keep just going, I've got cancer, how about I actually make myself feel happy because I love dopamine dressing, mm. which is the art of using color yes. and pattern to make yourself yep. feel joyful. It's what I preach to my clients. I talk about um, uh, your style being your armor. If you're having a bad day, there's a great quote. I think it's by Iris Atfel that says, never underestimate the power of a good outfit on a bad day. That became a mantra. And then I thought, right, I've got six rounds of chemo. I'm going to get dressed up. The reason I did this was less for Instagram, of course. I hope that is really known, but more for my control and my sanity. Um, yeah. So it allowed me... Some comfort that I had a plan. So I knew for the next six rounds of chemo, which was every three weeks, I would be wearing a fantastic, fabulous outfit. I was going to be rocking. I was going to do a turban, a great outfit, great shoes, and it was going to make me feel good. So that was the dopamine part. The control, it meant I could plan ahead. Of a year that I was not able to plan at all. Mm. And then also what it allowed me was the sense of conversation with people. And I loved that. I wasn't seeing many people. In fact, no one. I saw my mum uh, and it was my kids and my husband. And we were getting the more and more that, was it Delta? No, what was the... Yeah. I- You know it was really fierce at the time of chemo Mm. and so we had to be really careful and the kids were still wearing masks at school so that was good because as soon as they stopped wearing masks we got COVID. But the thing was is that it started conversations with people in the chemo. Room. And it was lovely because I met other patients. They went, Oh my God, I think I follow you. Are you the stylist? And I was like, Hi, (laughs) like a big nerd. (laughs) What's your name? And I was so excited. And I'd see people and their hair would be growing. And I'd be going, How much, you know, how much growth is that? Because I was obsessed about when my hair would grow. And then with the nurses, it would make me feel calmer going into the chair. I'm scared of needles. I didn't have a port. It was just intravenous in my arm. And I have thin veins. And so they checked me about my outfit while the, yeah. while the needle was going in. Yeah. So it calmed. It was conversation. It was control. It did so much for my mental health, let alone what it does just on a normal day. It doubled down on that uh, during chemo. And that's why it became so important to me. And in fact, now post-treatment, I feel even more strongly about it, even more. So I Life's too short for bad outfits. Life's too short for boring. Like, don't <laughs> let yourself feel, you know, that you have to hide. I'm not saying you have to go and wear a bright outfit. I'm saying just wear the best kind of clothes that make you feel good because they do have power. And it really is no word of a lie. If you dress up today and you feel good in your outfit, you will, I will guarantee you that you will have better parts to your day. I'm not saying you'll have the best day ever. You yes. might, yeah. and wouldn't that be wonderful, but you are more likely to have a better overall day wearing a cracking outfit or a cracking pair of shoes. That's so mm. true. I just don't think that's, I'd, I'd like someone to disprove that. I feel like I really want to double down on that on that mantra because it really does have the power. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I'd love to know your experience as well, and I'll, I'll give a bit of
0: context of of how I experienced this. So I was 37 when I was diagnosed. I have always been a bigger woman, somewhat of an hourglass figure. And I feel like in my 30s, I had really found my style. I've always loved vintage. I've always loved a little bit, sort of more of a 50 silhouette. And I think it's because that's, you know, I had breasts and and I didn't realize that when you lose your breast, you lose, a cur- you know, you lose your waist. And so after... After chemo and, well, everything finished, I felt like someone had breast factory reset and I had no idea what to wear. Gosh, yeah. And it took me, it actually has taken me a few years because, um, you know, I put on weight, I wear a breast prosthesis, I'd lost my, my hair and I didn't, yeah, like... Everything felt confusing and weird to me. And I think, you know, I'm in my early 40s now. And yeah, I guess you don't see images of, you know, middle-aged women, sort of, you know, what does fashion mean to you? Or what does personal style mean to you? And it's taken me a really long time to start going, well, hey, actually, I've always loved pattern. I love patterned clothes. I am notoriously bad at buying lots of patterns in nothing playing to go (laughs) with lovely but I like what makes me happy is seeing in my wardrobe these you know really different patterns and things and then kind of thinking about okay the other thing is is that I don't like to be hot and so I do quite like a flowing sort of thing so I can feel breezy and so this is a very long way to say when when your body changes or when life throws you a curveball and it kind of knocks your confidence or or really changes your perception of your sense of self, how can someone get back to themselves or embrace a new
1: style? Oh, that question. I <laughs> I have so much feeling for it because of the work I've done with clients over the years. Yeah. But... And one of the main reasons I started Sisterhood of Style was because I was heading into my 40s and I noticed that a lot of women were lacking in confidence and for many reasons, but usually it was from living life for other people, whether it was for your work, for your children, for your husband, your partner, your parents. You know, I've, I've had a close friend um, who's devoted 15 years to ailing parents. And so I think that you, it's a massive change, right? But we have both had medically changed bodies, yes. you know, significantly medically changed bodies. And my body completely changed because I had a size H, A, B, C, D, F, G, H, I, maybe Wow.
0: Yeah. Getting
1: there, up in cup size. Boob. Zip. <laughs> well, I say boobs, but the, the, the one that had cancer was the largest and it was yep. significantly larger. Yeah. And I don't have those anymore. And that is something that I'm not going to lie. I am pleased about. I So I had a positive outcome, but I am still incredibly scarred. I've got a lot of clothes that were made for or bought for big boobs and now swim on me yeah. at the top and so they don't flatter me like they used to and so an hourglass figure usually you can cinch yourself in at the waist and you're done right because that's yeah. the that's the look now once you when you lose your boobs suddenly there's other things that come into focus without my hair suddenly my neck is in focus i've got a short neck who knew and i think suddenly we look at our bodies and things that were hidden by our perhaps biggest asset, because I I definitely dress for my boobs, have now gone away and the other things have come into sharp contrast. So I think the way that I have approached it with clients and the way that I'm approaching it with myself now is curiosity Mm. and open mind. It's not to say that you will never feel beautiful again. It's not to say that you will never feel confident again because you will. But it's, it's exploring yourself. So just as much as we are both exploring what our life is like now, I want women, men, to know that it's really important to do the same for their style, particularly women because we have more options with shape, you know, and so with shapes and cuts, I should say, and styles of clothes. So a couple of ways that I would do it. Don't rush out and buy, like me, a whole new wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you will notice my chemo f- friends uh, that if you're also on the steroids which I'm assuming everyone is, you perhaps will fall victim to the steroid online purchasing oh. debacle that is your visa. Yes, and it's one hell of a pleasure seeing those packages arrive every day once I had five all arrive <laughs> at the same time my husband like this has got to stop I was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd forget where they were from when they'd arrive. Yeah. So I would suggest just rolling with it for a little while, wear what you've got, it's still going to fit, you know, and if it doesn't, get someone to buy you a different size, you know, buy a couple of dresses or a pair of soft fitting, elasticated waist pants and some t-shirts and just ease into it you're not going to win any awards by suddenly going out and changing your whole look Mm. then it's really important to what remember what you did love because it's unlikely that changing your body means that you can't still wear pattern that you can't still wear color so those are my two things color in fact I embraced it even more and color clashing and, and color blocking that became my thing What I did notice though, was that a lot of my, so I've changed size. So a lot of my clothes were too baggy for me, but I thought, okay, that's not such a big deal. Then I noticed for some clients that their clothes were too small. So I'd recommend them getting them altered, putting panels in on the sides, just a few nips and tucks that could help them just progress and transition. And then it's drawing, and this is kind of a broader conversation around finding your style. It's Looking back at patterns, not the pattern on your clothes, but the patterns in what you've worn. And I encourage people to take photos of themselves. Now, this is a major. And if you want to really feel or get to know what your style is, take a selfie of yourself in a mirror, a mirror selfie every day for a month. And you will see then when you print out those photos or you see them on your phone in a folder, there is a pattern forming. You will probably have one outfit that you wear very, very regularly and you will go, do I love wearing that or do I wear it for comfort or do I wear it for giving me a Mm -hmm. spark? Does it bring joy? And then you can then also do it in your wardrobe where you look at the things that you have worn. You could turn your coat hanger one way so you know when you put it back in, you turn it the other way and you will see what you're wearing. And that very quickly forms a pattern. Then you can do something like Pinterest where you start going on now, I know a lot of people follow Instagram and are following people that don't look like them. Yeah, yeah. So my next point would be if you are on social media to follow people that feel like you, either you get a good feeling about them because they've got a similar personality or they look like you. So you're identifying with them and not thinking that woman looks amazing in a pair of Daisy Duke shorts and I want to wear those. And you've never worn Daisy Duke's but you are thinking i can and then when you try it perhaps doesn't look like the woman because she's a completely different size to you and a completely different you know height as well and so i think it's really important to use a whole lot of tools rather than thinking my body has changed so much i can no longer wear clothes oh i love
0: this
1: you know and i think it's really really important to make it a staged process, just like you do with cancer and your cancer treatment. Nothing is going to change overnight. You know, those awful moments where you go, okay, to your surgeon, he says, right, your, your surgery is in three weeks. And then you may have a few tests in between that time, but actually, there is nothing. You're doing nothing. Like, there is nothing happening. And so, during that time, start looking and accepting that your body's going to change. Understand that I was lopsided for six Mm -hmm. months between the mastectomy and reconstruction, I had one much smaller boob. And so I thought all I could think about was how am I going to dress for that? And then I just figured it out. I'll just wear baggy shirts, you know, and, and things with pattern that don't draw so much attention to one side or the other. So that's where pattern really becomes your biggest friend because they can hide a lot of asymmetrical things the other thing to think of is I also had major stomach surgery with the construction. And so I couldn't wear anything around my waist for quite some time. So I wore dresses. And so it's just little tweaks, little adaptions that you can find that will will help you. There are so many yeah. options and your, your life doesn't stop because your body is now changed. We are going to be irrevocably changed because of cancer. Our bodies and what's happened to them is just a byproduct of that, right? And it's how we go through this process in our minds. And I think so. It's a gentle process. It's another thing that's going to change. But I've worked with so many women that say when I ask them what size they are so I can help them, I'm not interested in, oh, you're a size 10. Great. Oh, you're a size 14. Oh, it's not about that. It's about knowing where they're at so I can pick some stuff off the rack. What I don't tell them often is I'm also picking a size 12, I'm also picking a size 16, I'm also picking a size 8 for them, because a lot of us categorise ourselves by size only. Yeah. And in every store, there is a difference, in every single store. So I think it's really important to try and not become hung up on the fact that if you have put on weight through cancer treatment and post-cancer, that you still realise that there are ways and means to still look beautiful, to still feel fantastic. And I'm all about the gut feeling and I'm all about the heart and what you feel inside. And you you feel this too. I mean, you've got this fabulous dress on. It's got fabulous <laughs> bright prints on them. And you feel good in it, right? Yeah, and yeah. I feel good And in what I'm wearing today. And I've got a pair of kick shoes on. That yes, she <laughs> but That made me feel powerful coming here because I was a bit nervous yes. and I thought, what am I going to do with my heels? I'm not going anywhere. I'm going straight back home, <laughs> but I've got a kick-ass pair of heels on. So, to end that question, I think really important: dress for yourself, but dress for joy. Dress for joy. Post cancer, any old time, mm-hmm. whatever you like. But life is too short to not dress for fun and joy. Why not? And you can wear black. That doesn't mean not wearing black. I'm just saying we're the best options that you can that are available to you. Yeah. And if not, then, you know, seek help. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Call Uh, Emma. Call me. (laughs) Subliminal (laughs) messaging.
0: (laughs) I love that. And I I feel like basically what encompasses what you're saying is that a – If you've put on weight,
1: you still deserve to wear clothes that fit. You deserve fabulous clothes.
0: And that are comfortable. Yes.
1: Oh, comfortable must be the first. Like if I had any overarching mantra in life, make sure your clothes are comfortable. But that doesn't mean sloppy. No, no. That that can mean a whole myriad of things. But if you're comfortable, then you won't be pushing, pulling, tucking, doing all sorts of things when you're trying to get comfortable. If you're comfortable, you're set for the day.
0: Absolutely. Emma, I feel like I could just talk for hours and hours with you. So, so do I. Thank you so much for, for being here and sharing your story. But also, I feel like there's so much hope mm. in this conversation. So thank you.
1: Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute honour. And that is one last thing that I hope people know, that there are joyful days. You will not feel ratty every single day. You can feel joy in this. You can laugh and there will be days where you're okay thank you for joining me
0: if you want to learn more about the amazing things look good feel better offers go to their website www.lgfb.co.nz next week we're talking to a former military leader about why he chose to be open about his cancer diagnosis make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast app because you don't want to miss this conversation. See you next time.